Andrew Bastaris believes that you could have your next eye exam on a smartphone. Bastaris was not always a world-renowned ophthalmologist. As a child, he didn't do very well in school. That is, until he turned 12, at which point somebody finally gave him a vision screening. A pair of glasses later, his grades went through the roof. It left an impression on the boy, and he continued the study, eventually got his doctorate, and continued to study issues of sight. He shared on the TED Talk stage that there are over 39 million blind people in the world. But the tragedy is that 80% of those blind live in low-income countries where their blindness could be cured with operations as cheap as $6. But there are many problems in, a way, in the way of that happening. So the Stavris moved into the neighborhood, moved to Kenya, and started looking for trends. One of the trends he discovered is that in Kenya, more folks have access to a mobile phone than they do to clean running water. Not necessarily owning it, but have access to it. So seeing this as an opportunity to use a tool, he developed an app. And this app can do a variety of things. It can do the classic vision test that you and I are used to at the eye doctor, right? The giant E that we all hate. But in order to get through the language barrier, he didn't have other letters. He just has an E that changes from up to down to left to right. And instead of people telling him what letter they're seeing, they just either point to the orientation of the letter at the time. Pretty clever trick, right? Other amazing tricks include showing the patient what their eyesight should look like by creating on the screen two pictures, what they're seeing and what they should be seeing from the spot they're sitting using the smartphone's camera. It's good for the patient. It's also good for helping teachers understand and build empathy for kids who have vision problems in the classroom. It's helping to bring down a whole lot of cultural barriers. But probably the most amazing thing about his development is that he developed a piece of plastic cost $5 or so to print from a 3D printer. And when you attach it to the back of a smartphone, this phone instantly becomes a camera that can look into people's retinas and diagnose a whole series of issues. This camera has already proven to be more accurate and more useful than most pieces of $25,000 equipment in your normal ophthalmologist office. So next time they send you a bill, tell them to go get a smartphone, and maybe they can cut a few dollars off of it for you. They think this is replacing about $250,000 worth of medical care and at least 15 different clinicians along the way. It's remarkable. What's more remarkable, though, is that women like Mama Wangari, who has been blind for over 10 years, has never seen her grandchildren, that her eyesight can now be restored for less than a total of $40. The Stavris tool is called Peak, the personal eye examination kit, and it's not on the App Store yet, so don't go looking in the middle of the sermon. You can't get it. And he's providing sight to the blind. He's letting Wangari see their grandchildren. And our gospel story looks the same, right? 
Bartimaeus could not see, and all of a sudden, he can see. Jesus comes along, does his magic trick, sheathes the wand, and goes on whistling while he works. But as you may recall from the sermon I gave a couple weeks ago, I don't believe that God is in the hocus-pocus business. Certainly, the Savior is capable of healing. But there's always more going on and more important things that Jesus is addressing when these kind of events happen. We don't see it, but Bartimaeus does. Now, this encounter isn't Jesus' first round at the rodeo in the book of Mark. He's already healed a leper, a hemorrhaging woman, Jairus' daughter, a blind man in Bethesda, Bethsaida. But this one is different. This is different for a couple of reasons. First, this is the only time that Mark uses the term Rabboni, which is the Aramaic, when Bartimaeus says, my teacher. Normally, we see the word rabbi that you and I know more often. So it sort of introduces this sense of intimacy and knowingness from Bartimaeus' point of view. But that's not as big of a deal as another title that the blind beggar throws out. Because directly preceding this passage, Jesus predicts his death and resurrection three times on this road to Jerusalem. Three times he tells them, and three times no one seems to get it. All the disciples seem to be suffering from blindness of the heart. They just can't see what Jesus is pointing to in all of this. And so from a conversation with the blind of heart, Jesus turns to this blind of sight, the son of Timaeus, who yells out to him on the path, Son of David, have mercy on me. And when the crowd tries to push him back, I imagine him yelling out even more fervently, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stops. The man is healed. Because I believe this is the first time in the Gospel of Mark that the moniker Son of David is used. It's as if Bartimaeus is crying out, Look, folks, look, this is... The one descended from David. He's come to be David again for us. He's come to help us be the people of God. This is the one who takes away the sins of the world. You have the power to give and to take away. Son of David, have mercy on me. And as Jesus' response confirms, Artemis is healed not because of magic, but that his faith has made him well. This is good news. And it's bad news. It's good news and it's bad news because it seems that Jesus does not see blindness the same way that you and I do. For Jesus, blindness of the heart is a far more difficult problem than whether or not your retina is operating correctly. This prejudice is really easily confirmed if you go into our culture. 
especially Christian culture. Remember the 1970s? The blind man stood by the road and he cried. Show me the way, show me the truth, show me the life and the way to go home, says the blind man in the song. Sort of the evangelicalization of a spiritual song that's far slower and far more moving and doesn't have the John passage sort of plugged in there. So despite the 70s song, despite our attempts to make it all about conversion, we have this prejudice that sight is what blindness is all about. But what if blindness has nothing to do with what your eyes can do? I learned about this recently on a podcast called Invisibilia, put out by NPR. It talked about a man named Bob Scott, as a former professor of sociology at Princeton. He wrote a book called The Making of Blind Man, in which he argues that blindness is a social construct. Think about that. Blindness is a social construct? I mean, you either have eyes that work or your eyes don't work. How could there possibly be something in between or on the other side of all that? Scott argues that it's very similar to gender. While there's sexuality, gender is a construct in the way that we perceive one another and treat one another and create expectations for one another. And then within those expectations how each of us are expected to live. The literature is really clear that when you say certain things to folks in front of the SAT, if you let them know that the expectation isn't that, is that they're not going to do well, they don't. But when you let them know that it's very possible they could do well in the test, that they do have indeed better test scores. This happens to be true about blindness as well, but not with the eyes. See, Daniel Tisch is a man who could tell you about this. Tisch is a fascinating guy who's earned the nickname Batman, because Daniel Tisch is blind, but he rides his bike everywhere. He gets to his home and to his work, to his friend's place. He rides around the city on his bike. The trick, at least one of his tricks, is a personal sonar, sort of a clicking he does with the top of his mouth. He even leads the reporter on the story I listened to through the woods, just along the trail, stepping over branches, knowing where everything is. For him, blindness was about expectations, because when he was a child, his mom decided to let go of her fear let go of the constructs and the constraints and to try to treat him like a normal child. So Daniel became self-sufficient and autonomous. And one of his favorite ways to display this is by taking one of his students into a park, a child who's trying to learn about that self-sufficiency. And Tish takes the child walking along towards a street, a busy intersection. Parents are asked to step back, and Tish 
walks alongside and says, you just go ahead. Just walk towards the street and you stop when you feel comfortable. I can feel my shoulders tensing as perhaps you can, imagining your progeny walking towards the busy street. And sure enough, often some parents will jump in at the last minute and pull them back. But if they don't, the child always seems to figure it out. The construct of the blind as needy is torn down. And they end up living normal lives, sometimes biking themselves around town, just like Daniel Tisch. Blindness is a construct in the sense that we have people who cannot see who we declare are needy. But Jesus in this passage makes it very clear that it's not his blindness, but his faith that matters. It's his faith that matters because it's his faith that helps him to notice. I would argue that faith is the act of noticing things. The others do not. Faith is the act of noticing things that others do not, either because we're too busy or we're following other cultural values or whatever our cause. We just don't notice the presence of God in the everyday. Bartimaeus says, hey guys, I noticed this is the son of David come to change the world. And therefore Jesus takes notice of him. So what would happen if you and I practiced that act of faith and took notice of things in the world in order to help cure our blindness of heart? Chris Downey had a TED talk called Designing with the Blind in Mind. He says, one time I was in Oakland walking along Broadway and I came to a corner. I was waiting for one of these audible pedestrian signals. And just as I was about to step out into the street, all of a sudden my right hand was gripped by this guy and he yanked my arm and pulled me out into the crosswalk and was dragging me out across the street speaking to me in Mandarin. It's like there was no escape from this man's death grip. And he got me there safely. But what I've really been struck by, more than this man's generosity, is how much the city of Oakland has changed since I lost my sight. He said, I like it sighted. It was fine. It was a perfectly great city. But once I lost my sight and was walking along Broadway, I was blessed every block of the city. Bless you, man. Go for it, brother. God bless you. Downey says, I didn't get that when I was sighted. And even without sight, I don't get that in San Francisco. And I know it bothers some of my blind friends. It's just not me. I think this comes out of our shared humanity, out of our togetherness, and I think it's pretty cool. In fact, if I'm feeling down, I just go to Broadway in downtown Oakland, I go for a walk, and I feel better just like that in no time. But it also illustrates how disability and blindness cuts across ethnic and social and racial and economic lines. Because disability 
is an equal opportunity provider. Everybody's welcome. In fact, I've heard it said in the disability community that there are really only two types of people. There are those with disabilities, and there are those who haven't quite found theirs yet. There are those with disabilities, and there are those who haven't quite found theirs yet. See, the problem with our world, Downey argues, is that it's been built by sighted people. The problem with our culture and our constructs is that it's built by people who think they can see everything clearly. Downey's argument is that cities are better made when you ask the blind to build them. Think about how better the sidewalks can be in terms of what balance of space you need between cars and pedestrians. How regularly you need a trash can at each stop. What's the perfect angle to have a crosswalk? How much public transportation do you need to get a person from place to place? So our built world could certainly be better if the blind were given the chance. But think about the rest of our world and our constructs that are built by us who believe we can see everything so clearly. It's been argued in many places and in many key chains that our world would be a much better place if women had built it. I often tend to agree. What would happen if the poor, if ethnic minorities built our world instead of those with power? See, blindness of heart happens when you think you can see everything. But we're reminded in the scriptures, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. But by acts of faith, we come on Sunday morning and we proclaim that we cannot see clearly and we ask God to forgive us, to open our eyes that we may see again. You and I, we all have disabilities, whether or not we know it. For all have sinned and fallen short. So what if we were convicted about our passion for justice and looked for ways to see what others do not or cannot because they're in the rat race, because they're caught up with their own lives? What if we practice the act of faith by looking at mass incarceration in the eye and then releasing 6,000 prisoners from jail so that they could be with their families again? It's an amazing piece of news from this week. But what if in our homes we could practice that act of noticing by going to our partners and our children and our parents and saying, Now that I can look at myself with the eyes of faith, I have noticed how I've sinned against you. Forgive me. Or maybe you're not up for one of those two. And maybe you can just practice the act of noticing 
by going to someone that you know well, who you love well, and reminding of them of that. This is countercultural, my friends. This is not the way the world works. If it did, it'd be a very different place. May justice be our passion. May we recognize that God is in and around and above and through all things. And when we forget that, may we be reminded of the good news that Jesus, our cardio-ophthalmologist, is right there, helping us to see everything as he makes all things new. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit.